I'm Richard Wilkinson. I'm Emeritus Professor of Social Epidemiology, uh, which really just means I'm a retired professor. I was at, most recently at the University of Nottingham Medical School. Um, I've worked uh, a great deal on health inequalities and uh, effects of income inequality on population health. And uh, what for you is fairness? Uh, well, it's not a matter of defining it abstractly for me. It's it's looking to see uh, what makes a difference in society. It's uh, an empirical question, and uh, our research has shown that uh, large income differences between rich and poor in a society are damaging in all sorts of ways, um, in a whole bunch of different ways that uh, death rates tend to be higher, so life expectancy shorter, seems to be more mental illness, more people in prison, higher homicide rates, uh, poorer community life, lower levels of child well-being. A whole raft of, of things are worse. Uh, they have a common thread, though. They're all problems that are, um, tend to be worse at the bottom of the social ladder. And it's those kinds of problems that are, are worse in societies with bigger income differences between rich and poor. The, the Pope recently said in his encyclical that economic growth is inconsistent with addressing the climate crisis. And I wondered, from both a fairness perspective and a climate planetary boundaries perspective, can economic growth ever be fair? Um, well, I, I wouldn't use the... Um I wouldn't use the fair word fair about it. Um, I, I think that uh, if it uses more resources and uh, leads to um, higher carbon emissions or indeed stops us reducing carbon emissions dramatically, then obviously it's, it's very bad for the planet. Um, we have to make perhaps 90% reductions in carbon emissions um, which uh, would be very difficult with any economic growth. But, of course, uh, many people will define economic growth in ways that don't necessarily involve um, uh, more resource use. Um, but so far we haven't seen any uh, carbon-neutral um, economic growth, I think. Um, you've just published, uh, or recently published, um uh, a booklet uh, in which you talked about, I called it a, a convenient truth, in which you talk about and call for something called economic democracy. I wonder if you could tell us what you mean by economic democracy. Well, it really comes up as a way of dealing with uh, the very wide income differences in our societies. They're hugely much larger than they were, for instance, in, in the 1960s or 70s. And if you look at the 20th century, you get high inequalities until somewhere in the 1930s, and then they come tumbling down. Uh, income differences go on reducing until probably sometime in the late 1970s, and then you get the modern widening of income differences again until our societies are as unequal now as they were in the 1920s. Um, some of that is a matter of um, reducing top tax rates. They are hugely much lower than they used to be. Um, but the most important component is that income differences before tax have widened dramatically. 
uh, incomes at the top have uh, taken off and run away from the rest of us. You know, the bonus culture, the huge incomes that uh, um, CEOs and bankers and fin- people in the financial sector have been paying themselves. And uh, I think that what used to be true is that uh, trade union strength was a sort of counter uh, to the kind of unfettered um, greed, if you like, uh, of people at the top. Uh, but now uh, unions are much weaker than they used to be. And I think the way of um, uh, recreating a democratic constraint on, the incomes, uh, on incomes at the top are all forms of economic democracy, by which I mean employee representatives on company boards, um, but also employee-owned, more employee-owned companies, uh, more cooperatives, things like that. Um, about half the member countries of the European Union have at least some legislation requiring um, employee representatives on company boards. Um, and that seems to make companies uh, more efficient. It also reduces pay differences uh, quite substantially. Um, so I think that Britain needs that kind of legislation. Uh, I think that we should strengthen it over time in uh, demanding a, an increasing proportion of employee representatives on company boards. But I also think we need policies to grow the um, uh, employee-owned sector and cooperatives, um, tax incentives, uh, various other ways of um, uh, trying to expand that sector. With, I think, that our long-term aim should be to uh, deal with the, uh, if you like, the antisocial behavior of large, powerful, multinational corporations which run rings around national governments and uh, uh, often make us all feel quite manipulated. Uh, we should, uh, the answer to that, I think, is, is democratization. Um, as I say, there are good studies that suggest that uh, um, Productivity is higher in more democratic companies. Um, and also, I think that the indications that they perform better in environmental and ethical ways, mm-hmm. uh, as well as some people suggest that an employee buyout can turn a company from being a piece of property, uh, really a group of employees that comprise the company being owned by external shareholders, can turn that from being, as I say, a piece of property into a community. Uh, It really changes working relationships when people are are not working for external financial interests. The the Equality Trust started out very quite similar to transition, taking a a position of being very non-party political, sort of under the radar. But your latest, The Convenient Truth, is published with the Fabian Society. Does that represent... A change in your approach? Well, the Equality Trust has recently become a charity, um, and uh, the director, I think, is uh, very concerned to make sure he keeps absolutely to the letter of the, the rules for being a charity. Um, but my reason for um, publishing A Convenient Truth with the Fabian Society was I thought that was the best way of getting it into the Labour Party. Uh, Fabians certainly used to be um, 
uh, influential in the Labour Party. I suspect that's less true now. Maybe under Corbyn it would be different if he's elected. I mean, speaking of Corbyn, what, one of the interesting uh, things that's been coming out of that is the, the number of people in the Labour Party who've been saying that you know, to really stress uh, equality and fairness would make the Labour Party unelectable, whereas he's saying, no, that's, that's where we need to go. I wonder if you have a sense of... Uh, if, if you had a government that uh, were to adopt in full the findings of the spirit level, for example, would that make them more electable or less electable? I think it's very hard to predict uh, because um, we're so influenced by the manipulative power of the media mass media, some of it owned by, well, most of it owned by extremely wealthy individuals, um, uh, which I think is inconsistent with democracy. Uh, it's it, in part of any democratic constitution, I think, is that you need a well-informed public. Uh, democracy only functions well with a well-informed public, and that means uh, having a more democratically owned and controlled media. I think that there is such a widespread disillusionment, anger, whatever, mistrust of politicians, um, uh, more and more people not voting, um, and saying that there's no difference between the parties, um, and increasing signs that people who step outside the party framework can do uh, well. I mean, we had it in terms of mayors of London with Ken Livingstone and then um, Boris Johnson, um, both seen as rather independent-minded people. And clearly the, the following for Corbyn reflects uh, enthusiasm in sections of the population that I don't think have been... Um, particularly interested in in some of the Labour Party before, um, and I think there are there are so many things that uh, someone like Corbyn could do. There was a uh, suggestion in the paper, I can't remember whether it was yesterday or today, that he might abolish the party whip, um, uh, which would mean um, presumably that MPs started to say. Uh, more what they believed in and became less um, uh, puppets of their party views. Um, and I think that uh, people would be very attracted by that. Uh, I think if he handled Prime Minister's questions very differently, uh, it might also be true. But um, a lot of the things that uh, he is standing for seem to have, uh, uh, polls suggest, have majority approval. For instance, over 80% of the population uh, seem to think that income differences are too large. Uh, that comes from the, the British Social Attitudes Survey. Um, he also wants to uh, nationalise the railways, and I think that opinion polls say there's uh, majority support for that. So I think it's, it depends very much on uh, his willingness to speak out on, on these issues, really to defend them, rather than to be afraid of the media, afraid of the electorate, as um, much of the Labour Party's leadership has been before. Mm. And in, in the European context, we've seen Podemos and Syriza and 
other pro-equality parties doing well, but then we've also seen the the savaging of Greece by the EU and the ECB. If you want a fairer world, who should you vote for in an EU referendum? It's a horrible question. You mean... Uh, <laughs> in an in-out referendum. Well, I think that uh, there is a, an enormous need for uh, more international agreements, um, not only to deal with uh, climate change, but also to deal with the tax havens and tax avoidance, uh, but also to deal with the uh, enormous undemocratic power of multinationals, many of which um, are, in economic terms, bigger than um, very many countries' national economies. The EU, although it hasn't often been backing the side of many of these issues I would like, um, we do need those international uh, cooperative um, measures um, to deal with uh, these growing problem problems, as I say, climate change, uh, tax avoidance, and the problem of um, multinationals. Uh, so I think we must be in bigger units, uh, and the problem is simply to get them to do uh, more of the things that we need doing. We need to win them over to a more progressive agenda, if you like. Um, is the message of the spirit level the same in a contracting economy as it is in a growing economy? I think that uh, whichever we have, in whatever phase of the business cycle, we need small income differences. Um, you were talking about the electability of someone like Corbyn but earlier, but I think that and there is a big shift going on in, in world opinion. Uh, we've had statements from um, the Pope, from Obama, from Ban Ki-moon, from Christine Lagarde, uh, all talking about how inequality is um, the sort of most important issue now in our societies, um, recognizing how damaging it is. And even economists now at OECD and the World Bank recognizing that it's, it's economically damaging as well. Um, one of the things that I, I should have mentioned earlier, I think, is that um, greater equality uh, not only reduces issues like violence and strengthens community life, but it also uh, is important in moving towards sustainability because one of the big drivers of consumerism, which I think is perhaps the big, perhaps the biggest obstacle to um, uh, greener or greener policies, to policies for reducing carbon emissions, uh, the greatest obstacle I think is consumerism and. That is about status competition, and the data is fairly clear now from research showing that really more unequal societies, those societies with the bigger income differences, uh, status matters even more. We judge each other in those societies more by where we are in the job hierarchy and uh, incomes and so on, and so we all get more worried about status, and of course how we show what we're worth is uh, through our expenditure. Um, 
in a way. I think people often think of um, consumerism as, as as showing that we're, uh, I don't know, all, all possessive, acquisitive, uh, materialistic. But actually, um, consumerism is a very alien form of social communication. Uh, you know, if I want a, a bigger, better car, um, and live in a smart part of town and want clothes and so on with the right uh, labels on, that's an attempt to communicate my worth to other people. Um, and we can see in the data that uh, those forces are stronger in more unequal societies. Um, you write in A Convenient Truth that uh, we typically lived in societies with an extraordinary degree of equality. What went wrong? Uh, inequality starts to grow under, from really early agriculture. Um, during the, the biggest part of uh, human existence, in, when I say human existence, I mean in our modern anatomical form with brains our current size, we lived in hunting and gathering societies which were extraordinarily equal, you know, based on food sharing and gift exchange and so on. Uh, not because people had a different psychology then, uh, but because any uh, attempts uh, at dominance and to be uh, bossy or, or whatever uh, over other people was met by what, what anthropologists call counter-dominant strategies. So uh, if you were antisocial, difficult, domineering, um, you would be teased, ostracized, um, uh, whatever, um, to bring you into line. Um, a very nice book on that, actually, by um, uh, Christopher Bohm called uh, Moral, Moral Origins, um, well worth reading about how those societies worked. But um, although people know that agriculture uh, coincides with the, uh, or initiates the rise in inequality, I think there are, there's less agreement on on what the link is, how it works, uh, something to do with more complica complicated and denser societies, denser populations. Um, but I think there are other, other reasons as well, which um, and in, in a sense, agricultural production is no longer uh, a communal activity as big game hunting was. Uh, in hunting and gathering societies. So what is produced is becomes a matter of individual endeavour, individual work. And, of course, that's remained true through the long history of agricultural development. So, you know, the product is mine because it's what I work to grow. Um, but in modern societies, uh, production is now a communal activity now, again, um, we all work um, cooperatively in that, you know, all our different contributions are necessary. We each produce for other people to consume, um, playing different roles in often very complicated productive processes. So I think there are reasons to think that uh, um, maybe uh, economic development, industrialization moving beyond agriculture uh, may have changed some of the rationality of inequality or, or that underlies inequality. Mm. 
and sorry, I could just add to that that you know the modern modern companies involve uh, bringing together the skills of knowledgeable, highly trained people, and uh, uh, it, it's no longer a matter of a sort of educated boss who knows what the company's got to do, and a lot of unskilled workers who are often uh, kept in, ign in ignorance about that. And so I think that uh, uh, the fact that modern production has that character um, means that you need more workplace democracy. And indeed, uh, how much control people have in the workplace seems to be one of the important determinants of workplace health. Um, one of the, the, the focus that the transition movement takes is about starting with communities and starting at the bottom and uh, I wonder if you had any thoughts on how transition groups who are starting to now develop new economies and start new social enterprises around food and energy and housing and all kinds of different things should be mindful about enshrining fairness and equality in from the outset well I do think uh, when local businesses are started uh, it's very important to try and start them along democratic lines preferably as uh, cooperatives uh, I think it's also important to um, pay uh, the living wage the living wage is properly defined not as the Chancellor recently defined it um, and uh, to, to try and keep income differences small um, as I said earlier, the big rise in inequality has been runaway top incomes and income differences in the biggest, I think, 350 American companies were about 1 to 30, 1 to 40, around uh, about 1980. They are now more like 300 to 1 or 400 to 1. Um, so they're 10 times as big as they used to be. Um, and uh, so I do think... Uh, uh, encouraging democracy in, e in our economic activity, making sure that people at the bottom are paid adequately and that uh, people don't have the, if you like, the power uh, to take more than their share of um, incomes at the top. It's a while now since the spirit level came out. I wonder how you regard the impact that it's had over that time. It's hard to know, and clearly there has been enormous change in people's uh, attitudes to uh, inequality. Um, I think our book would not have been so successful if it had come out before the financial crash. I think the financial crash led people to think um, more fundamentally about where our societies were going and where we wanted them to go. Um, uh, and, you know, whether we have made an important contribution to that growing uh, concern with inequality or whether we have simply benefited from it, uh, I think is something we'll, we'll never know. Um, but we certainly know that um, some of the world leaders have, have written it, read it from the things they've say, said. Um, so it may well have been influential. Um, one of the ways in which it has been influential um, 
which is always also relevant to local activity, is in um, initiating the fairness commissions. Uh, you probably know that in a number of big cities in Britain, I think uh, perhaps as many as 20 of our major cities have started fairness commissions to try and uh, recommend ways of um, uh, reducing income differences locally. Um, and one of the things they've all reported on, actually, is the importance of paying the living wage and trying to reduce income differences of uh, companies that supply the local authorities. And uh, most of those local authorities have committed themselves to paying the living wage. Um, so I think probably tens of thousands of people are now paid a bit more than they would have been. Uh, and I, I know that... Um, the initiative first in Islington for setting up those fairness commissions um, was stimulated by the spirit level. Um, I've spoken to them, I think almost all of them. Um, so we can't really be sure what the scale of the influence is, but um, it's part of a very welcome process mm. of growing awareness. And there's a film coming out soon, isn't there, as well? Or is that already out? Yes, there's a, a film which, uh, called The Divide. Um, and uh, it's, I think, finished now, but uh, they need to raise some money for promotion. Um, and I think it's not going to be released generally until uh, about March. Um, there was hope that it would be released earlier, but they've decided, I think, to um, put more work into promotion. Um, so uh, it should be out by March. And it really is worth emphasizing the connection between uh, consumerism and uh, inequality, uh, that people in more unequal societies seem to work longer hours uh, because money becomes even more important in how you show your worth. And people get into debt more uh, as income differences get larger. Aspirational incomes grow. People feel they need more to keep up. Uh, you can see that quite clearly in the data. And in a number of ways, more equal countries seem to do better in environmental terms. One of them is that because community life is stronger, people are more aware of the common good, if you like, um, the good of humanity, which is absolutely key to doing anything about uh, the scale of the problem of climate change and carbon emissions. One of the important effects of having closer community life in more equal societies and as a result people being more aware of the common good is that surveys of business leaders' opinions uh, show that uh, in more equal countries, business leaders rate uh, international agreements on climate change as more important than business leaders in uh, more unequal countries, where I think they just feel that that's not their job. They have to look after themselves. Mm. Um, recycling is, is higher um, in, in more equal countries. So uh, a range of things suggesting that uh, more equal countries uh, do better in environmental terms.